I often joke that, that Dave is like my Yoda, so uh, although it doesn't really fit because he talks forward and whatnot, but it's been a good time uh, to be here. Today it's kind of odd because you see the, the trees and we're ready for the next season and we're going to stay in Ephesians for one more week, so we kind of tricked you into that, but don't worry, um, next week we'll be getting into that as we start our uh, Christmas messages and, and focusing on that. But today, we're kind of at the point where last week, uh, Stephen mentioned how a lot of Paul's writings split. He, he changes mid-letter and, and goes into some practical outworking of what he's been teaching. And we're right on the cusp of that today. We'll be in Ephesians 4, starting verse 7. If you want to find that, we'll read in a second. It's page 977 if you're using that black Bible that's um, in the basket in front of you. And uh, what we find today is this is the transition. Last week we found that we're unified under a one God, one faith, one baptism. And now it starts transition. What does that mean for our life? How does that, how does that work out for us? Because what we'll see, and, and if we're honest about ourselves, we find that we naturally desire acceptance and unity just in our lives. We seek that out without even knowing it sometimes, but we'll find that apart from the true king, we can't ever gain this. It's a search that has no end. You can't ever find what you're looking for despite trying. And so we'll see today that Christ is the true king. And I see this, as Dave mentioned, uh, I'm also a teacher in Lampasas. I teach economics and then some world geography which means I have freshmen and seniors, which is the crazies of the high school, right? Freshmen, they're just crazy because they're freshmen. Seniors are ready to go, so they're kind of crazy. Thinking that they've achieved what they came to do, and really sometimes are quite wrong on that, but that's, not, that's a whole different story. But what we find is you see the desire for acceptance in students easily. It's just natural. And you, it always cracks me up when you see these groups of students that don't want to fit in, like, I'm going to be different from everyone else, and they all group together. And it's like the one thing they're trying not to do, they come over here, I'm not fitting in with them, and they're all fitting in. And it's like this desire can't go away. They just, you, you cling to people that you're like. What we'll see today is that until we rightfully acknowledge Christ as the true king, we'll never really realize that our diversity is actually what unifies us actually what unifies us. So if you will, uh, read with me in Ephesians, starting verse 7, um, the text, we're going 7 through 13, and then we'll dive into this and, and allow the Lord to speak. It says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all obtain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. 
If y'all will pray with me, we'll ask God's guidance through this. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to live among us. God, we just pray that today that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to the truth that you have here in your word, that we would see it and live by its truth and its power. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we truly acknowledge Christ as the true king. In this passage, we see that he does that in three ways. He's a conquering king, he's a gift-giving king, and he's a uniting king. And in verse 8, we see that he is a conquering king. It says, when he ascended on high, or when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In verse 9, and saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he had also descended to the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens, and then he might fill all things. Can you go to the next one? Dave dropped the clicker, and it's not working. But uh, just throwing that out there in case anyone's wondering. But, but what we have here is a king that conquers. It says it. He ascended on high, and he led what? A host of captives. So Christ is the true king because he has conquered his enemies. And when we look at this, if you have a reference Bible, it's going to send you to Psalm 68, 68, 18. But when you, you flip over there and you read this, it can, it's confusing. Because it's almost like Paul's saying the exact opposite of what Psalm 68 says. But what we find here is Paul's not directly quoting this verse. He's summarizing the meaning of, of Psalm 68, and he's pulling Christ out of the Old Testament for us. He's showing how Christ is a conquering king, that he has won the battle, he's defeated the enemies, and that's why he can be the true king. Because if we look back through human history, what, what allows someone to be a legitimate king? They've defeated the enemies. Or who they define as enemies. A lot of times that was family members. But that was... That was the, the enemies that was going to challenge their power, challenge their authority. So Christ is a legitimate king because he conquered the enemies. He is a legitimate king. He has a claim to that because he conquered. But what makes him the true king above the other kings that we've seen in history is the fact that he didn't defeat his enemies, he defeated ours. He defeated our enemies, and as defeating our enemies, he did it at risk of himself. One of the things that, that drives my wife crazy about me is that I've memorized movies almost instantly. Not just the, the little one-liners. Like Anyone can remember like the Schwarzenegger quotes, like, stick around and I'll be back. That's easy. But I just for some reason, it just is etched in my I'm audio. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I do, and I can't watch it for a while, and then I'll just remember it. But if you think about movies, you think about this, like say Braveheart, when they're fighting, where's the king? If he's there, he's not close to the battle, right? He's up on the thing, send this, send this, he's doing that. Okay, and that's why Christ is the true king, because he's not on the hilltop waiting. He's on the hilltop dying. He conquered our enemies at his risk. That's why he's the true king. And so what we have to do is ask ourselves, what battles are we still fighting that have already been won? Where in your life are you trying to conquer an enemy that's been defeated? 
Because if we're still fighting battles that have been won, we're never going to be moving forward in our lives. We're stuck. And we can't get out of it because the one thing that gets us out of it is what we're acknowledging. That's the fact that the true king's already won. He's already done the battle. So we can't go through our lives and realize without realizing that he's done that. And if you're trying, you're probably frustrated and you're stuck. And the way you do that is you claim that victory every day. And that doesn't mean that life is easy. It doesn't mean that. But it means that you've won. That you're on the winning team. Your king, your true king, has defeated your enemies. Because he's conquered, you have. And because he's reigning, you're secure. We sung it just a second ago. The true king's kingdom will never be overthrown. Is Christ undefeatable? He can't be beaten. And the next thing that w- that we see is that you can go ahead and go there, is that not only is he the conquering king, the gift giving king. And what we find in this is that not only has he won, but he gives gifts from his spoils of victory. You see, this is where it sets him apart for most kings because the kings of old, they'd send people out into battle. They would win the battle and they'd bring back the spoils and give it to the king. Well, Christ, the true king, gives that back to us. We see this in verse 11. It says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. He gives gifts. But we also have to realize that at the first of this passage, in verse 7, it talks about gift-giving as well. You'll read verse 7 with me. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And if we're honest, we read that verse, we step back and have a moment of honesty, the last part of that verse doesn't sit well with us. Because it's according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Then what that means is that some of us aren't as gifted as others. And in our desire to be united and equal and accepted, that's not fair. I should be given everything equally. But we only have that thought when we look through the lens of our acceptance and we don't see Christ as the true king. Because what's something else that defines a king? It's sovereignty, isn't it? He's above reproach. So who tells a king to give gifts? Himself. And so as the true king, there's no one that comes to say, well, that's not fair. In reality, the fact that he gave us something is what we need to be rejoicing in. Not saying, why is that person stronger in this area? Why am I not able to do that? Instead, we should just worship him and thank him for giving us a gift that we didn't deserve. And another interesting part about this list is it's a short list. There's other lists, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. These lists are longer. These aren't, this is an exhaustive list of gifts. And some would even, would, would even argue that the list just lifted here or listed in Scripture is not exhaustive. That we can see other giftings happening. But what is interesting about this list is it's small, but it all deals with leadership. You can look at these categories and in some way 
they involve a leadership aspect. And we'll agree that leadership is a good thing. Proper leadership is a good thing. You can see that when you go to a restaurant and you can definitely tell if the manager is good or not. Right? You can see it by the way they work. You can see a business. Is the leadership good? You can see it by the way it is. But what we end up doing is looking at these as leaderships and we forget that they're gifts and not just offices in the church. We forget that there's a difference between the office that bears the same name of these and the gift that works out through it. So we'll take some time and just go through this and see what does it actually mean. Because it's weird for us sometimes. We think apostles. We don't have that office anymore. There's 14 men. Paul being the last one that held the office of apostles. We can't find that anymore. So what does it mean that we're gifted in this? We can say this is where missionaries come in. Church planters. It's people that are going to take the word to people that don't have it or necessarily don't want it. It's breaking new ground. Because that's what the apostles did. Jesus brought them in and taught them and then started the movement. It was something new. And that's what missionaries and apostles are. This is that gifting to, to go and do that. Not everyone has that. Not everyone desires that, and that's okay. And then we see prophets. Prophets are what we really need. My batteries are dead. Dave didn't drop this one, though. Good? Awesome. Okay, but we have prophets. This is why we have a gap between the Old and New Testament. Is there were no prophets anymore. No one was taking God's truth and giving it to the people. He was silent for a reason. And why don't we have prophets anymore? It's because God spoke Himself. He, he spoke Himself. He came and lived as us. We don't need anyone to give us His truth. He did it Himself. But you could say that this gift is, is seen in pastors and, and people that take the truth of God's Word and speak that truth. It's not a new revelation, but it's still God's Word to the people. Evangelism. Evangelist. The one that I always think of is Billy Graham. He's going and he's going to preach the gospel. And there's some that do this as an office like he did and they're doing certain things. But then everyone has this at some, at some level because you all live amongst people that aren't saved. You're going to take God's truth and you're going to give it to the people. And it doesn't take someone on staff that's paid to do this. It takes someone realizing their gift and using it. Pastors. We always think of the office and that's just common This is shepherding. This is taking care of God's people. And if you look at the body and you're honest about it, there's more people that shepherd the church than just those that are paid to do it. Because it's too big, it's too organic, it's too out there for the offices of the church to do it themselves. So people have to realize that they have that gift. Sometimes shepherds are amazingly gifted and they're not on staff. And they work that out. 
through their lives. And that's a good and positive thing because it's a gifting that was given. And finally, it's teaching. And I would argue that this is probably the most common because once you have understood that Christ is the true King, you've met Him, and you've, He's changed your identity now as in Him, you're going to change. And people are going to wonder why. So you're going to teach them. And this doesn't mean that you're going to be this amazing teacher and everything that you have, you can take this concept and just make people understand. But everyone has some form of teaching gifted in them. And all of these gifts, we have to realize that we have them because He is the true King. He has gifted us from His victory. So how do you find them? You serve. You serve the body. And you don't rely on the the pastors and the elders to do everything. You literally get in the trenches. And that's not necessarily a call to work in the nursery, but it could be if that's where your gifting is. That's what everyone thinks. Ah, go work in the nursery. Start there. Well, some people don't need to start there. If we're honest, you don't want some people working in children. It's not their gifting, right? It's just if you don't have patience... If you don't have patience, you can't work with children. But some people are incredibly gifted at that. But they don't realize it because they never tried. It's only a mystery. Your gifting is only a mystery if you haven't seeked and sought out what it is. I think of this with me, and uh, I went to Wayland Baptist University in Plainview, and I joked earlier that if you're not willing to go where it's just dirt and cotton fields, you're never going to go to Plainview. Okay? Up in the panhandle, it's, it grows on you, literally, if you don't shower. But, uh, but what happened there is, on that, the, the cool thing to do was, was have a guitar and play. Okay? So I got a guitar and attempted to play. And I was an RA in the dorm, so you had to sit there and work in the, work in the office to have office hours and all this stuff. And you just sit there. You could either watch TV or I always threw pillows at the guys tried to sleep in the lobby because I didn't think that was fair. If I had to be there awake, they don't need to sleep on the couch right here so I could watch them. I'm like, no, I'll throw a pillow. Go to your room. You got a bed. But, or you could sit there and try to play guitar, which is what I did. And there's a big emphasis on try because I can't do it. I, I can't do it. I can make some chords and I can try to strum, but when they go together, nothing sweet and musical comes out it's just bad but but what happened is i wouldn't have known that if i hadn't tried if i hadn't tried i wouldn't have known to not waste my time doing that i'm just not musical at all like you got steve the drummer he's going to be beating on everything like drummers do right if there's a straw in their hand it's a drumstick and they're i can't even do that i can't make rhythm on random objects it just doesn't work but if I had never tried, I wouldn't know that. And that's okay, because I was able to understand that I was gifted by the, the true king, because he knows how I'm wired. He created me in a certain way. He gave me gifts to unlock that potential. And while I'm not lead worship, because I don't need to, there's other things that I could do for the body. But I won't know unless I try And what we see in that is what are you trying to do that you already know that you're not gifted in? What are you you trying to serve? Or what are you trying to do that when you think about it and you're honest, you're not good at it? 
It doesn't come natural to you. I know argue that you're trying to legitimize a gift that you haven't been given. And there's something else that's going not completed because you're not doing that. Because we find that the king gives us gifts, and once he gives us gifts, he uses those different gifts to unite us. And we find that Christ is the true king because he unites a diverse people by giving us a common goal. We have a common goal. We see that in verses 12 and 13. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all obtain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. So what is our common goal? There's different places throughout Scripture that's referred to. It's not an easy common goal. It's not like one thing and it's easily defined. It's one direction. And the two aspects that Paul gives us here is equipping the saints and building the body. Equipping the saints simply is discipleship. Are you teaching other people, other saints, other believers, other members of the body? Are you pouring into them and then allowing someone else to pour into you? See, we often are good at discipling others, but bad at taking discipleship, receiving it. But if we're going to equip the saints for the work of ministry, it's this ongoing process of discipling and being discipled. It just happens. And there's too many people to, for that to only happen with the pastors and elders. The body is responsible for equipping the saints. Yes, it needs direction and leadership. But we can't rely on the leadership to do everything. We're gifted in that and we have to do it ourselves. And if we're not, then we will fail. It's that simple. If you're not discipling, if you're not equipping in some way, and it looks different, but if you're not doing that, then it's not going to work. The church will fail at its mission. We won't be united in a common goal because we won't be going anywhere. And secondly, we see that we're supposed to build the body. This is literally the construction, the building of the body. And I would argue that we do that through growth. And that's done through your lives where you're around people that don't know Christ as the true King, that have not met Him, but you have. So are you telling that story? Are you teaching those? And then as you teach them, the Gospel works and Christ draws people to Himself. Thus the body is built. And then when those people are added and everyone's using their gifts and diversely discipling people, we see that those new believers aren't left to fend for themselves. They're, they're taken in. They're equipped, they're equipped for the ministry. And when we see this, we understand that both equipping the saints and building the body can only happen through diversity. Because if we look at people, people are different. People are different. And the problem is we try to answer this difference by making everyone the same instead of embracing it because that's how the true king created it. So how long do we do this? That's always the other question, right? Well, it's not fair that we have different gifts, but I can do this for how long? How long do I need to do this? Okay, what does he say? Until we obtain the maturity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. 
It doesn't stop. It keeps going. We can always grow in Him more. It's this ongoing process. As you're equipping and being equipped, you're growing more and more like Him, which means you're going to be doing things in a different way. And it's always moving forward to in the likeness of Him, never really achieving it until the other side when you're with Him. So when does it stop? It doesn't. But what we find is that as we use our diversity, we're actually unified. We're unified in that. The best picture we get of this outside of church is marriage. Those of you that are married know that you're probably nothing like your spouse. I'm not. And I don't know how she puts up with me, honestly. I couldn't be married to myself. I would just annoy myself. I can't even hold a good conversation with myself. Right? But, but you see that diversity actually brings us together because we have a common goal. When I met Lindsay um, in college, we were going, and I have to have a moment of confession, that one of the things that I always did and loved to do, and I still will say struggle with, is I loved to buy shoes. I know, it's not a manly thing to say. <laughs> right? I did. I did. I'll be honest. It's a moment of confession, and I need to be a strong. I need to go kill something now to be manly. But, but I did. I, I was that guy. I had... 20, 25 pair of tennis shoes. Why? Because it always matches, right? I don't, I don't know. But, but Lindsay didn't get that. And if you know us, those of you that do, you know that Lindsay thinks in a completely different manner. And it's usually a lot more sound and solid than I do. But, but she thinks, one with that, is that's just, just poor stewardship of our finances. You don't need 20 pairs of shoes. And the, the problem is, is if I, would have real, if I would have not accepted that we have a common goal, our diversity would have actually pulled us apart. But when you accept that you have a common goal, for us in our marriage is to be good stewards with what God's given us. How's the true king gifted us to be good stewards? It's to, to have a house where our children will grow up loved and knowing that there is a true king that loves them more than we could ever do that entrusted them to us. And if we didn't realize that our diversity is actually a way to do that, we wouldn't be united, we'd be separated. So the picture of marriage that we have that, that God has given us is actually a picture of what we have in the body. It's diversity that leads to unity. And that doesn't make sense in our minds. It doesn't make sense because we want to make everyone equal. Because it sounds good to be equal, but it's not. It hinders. You're not able to grow if you're equal, but you can grow through diversity. And as a common goal, we're united in that. So where are you gaining your acceptance? Where are you gaining your unity? Because if it's not in the true king, then you're rooted in the wrong thing. And you're going to find that while you desire acceptance, you're never going to find it. Because only the true king can create a system that uses diversity and differences that brings forth unity. And that's that's the, the point of what we're talking about. Where's your identity? Is it in the true king? 
that conquered our enemies, that gave us gifts that we didn't deserve, and that united us when we didn't think it was possible because we're all different. And when we find our true identity in the true King Christ, we realize that since He conquered our enemies, He freed us from their bondage. Our enemies are defeated. We're no longer in the bondage of them. They've been defeated because the true king did. And then we realize that he gifted us. And by gifting us, he unlocked our true potential to be the body, but also personally. Only he knows how he created us. And then he gave us the gifts to complement that creation so that we can unlock our true potential when our identity is rooted in the true king. And then finally, he united us with our brothers and sisters, both here with Grace Bible, but also in the universal church. We're united in a common goal, and that is to bring glory to his name. And that works in a lot of different ways. And it's not one way to say it. If it was one way to say it, it'd be easy. Do this. But it's not. So we can look around and see that we're all diverse in our giftings. Not just in who we are, in our abilities. And some of us are better at stuff than others. There are other leaders that can lead more people than you can. Praise Him in that. Praise the King in that. That, that He's equipped everyone for the one goal. And that's really what we do. And that, what that does then is that leads to worship. And that leads to thankfulness because He's given us everything that we need for our true potential. So Chris and them are going to play a final song here in a second after we pray. And that's, that's, a, that's a chance that we have to unlock that worship inside of us. If you'll pray real quick. Father God, we thank You that we have your son, who is the true king. We thank you for his conquering of our enemies. We thank you that he gave us gifts to unlock our true potential. God, we thank you that we're unified in that differences and through our diversity. And it's in his name now we just praise you and bring glory to your name. Amen.